Welcome to episode 506 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 506 of I Am Talk with Coach John Houston, Bevan James Owls. You didn't get me a glass of water. Joe got me that. Oh, did you? Yeah. Oh. Hostess with the mostess. <laughs> Where's the love in this relationship? Jombo, I was going to say watch your goss, but then we do the end of the show. We do. I was just asking John. What, would you have won the most tapu marathon if you'd been running? Do you know what? The yeah. time wasn't that fast. Oh. The guy who won it did 3.30. Yeah. And traditionally... The, the guys who won it were more like 3 to 3.15. So I'm not going to say I would have won it. Yeah. Because that's foolish. But I was training for a 3.30. Got to be in to win though, haven't you? Yeah, you got to turn up to win it. So <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the first step of winning a race. God, that water tastes good. We'll get it out of the fridge. Yeah. That, yeah. You can share it if you want. Um, yeah, I don't know. I wasn't really upset. You know, so be it. Such mm. is life. But yeah, I do think I probably should get the trophy for winning it. Sounds good. I think it was a young 18-year-old. Good on him. Well, maybe not, but anyway. I Am Talk is proudly brought to you by... Athlinks.com. Social networking for insurance athletes. Extreme Endurance. Your lactic buffer. And OxygenAddict.com. One of the coaching team on the website on the show today talking about run walks. So yes. talking about those guys later on. Jombo, the question, bigger question is, which we'll talk about in a second, what have I gone sub nine in Ironman New Zealand this year? Some fast <laughs> times. And our patrons, Bevan. And our patrons, that's the name of you. Adam the Big Schnozzle Bardsley. <laughs> they can go either way. Uh, Paul Swindler Tuck. Catherine the Terrier Floodquist. John the Saviour Goddick. Paul the Butcher, or he's got another nickname, Red Horns Hellings. Mark Scudamore the Missile. And Michael Sylvester Parrot, or Super Hot Rod. Some people got two nicknames. They've been around for a while, these people. These people have. They're real committed to the show, and we love them. Jason McFowl. DP, let's not even go there. He loves it. That <laughs> <laughs> he, he loves the nickname. <laughs> oh, good times, John. Good times. Okay, Jonbo, this week's show, we've got some discussion of the week. We've got some news. Big news on IME in New Zealand, obviously. Uh, we've got Coach's Corner. Me reviewing low-carb, high-fat, which I've been playing around with the last little while. We've got an interview with Rob from Oxygen Addict, and we've also got Cam Brown on the show. Hopefully. I'm hopefully going to have a chat with him later on this afternoon, and just a quick catch-up on how his day unfolded. Well, Jonbo, it unfolded very well. It did indeed. <laughs> Let's talk about Ironman New Zealand, Jonbo. It was... Um, a fast day at the office. Why? Well, I'm going to... Hypothesize. Hypothesize about this one. You, said, you talk that, about a glass of water. That there was some tailwinds going on on the bike, perhaps at some stage on the return legs. So, uh, firstly, the swim times look a little bit quicker than usual. So, there might be some a reason for that. So, Cam Brown came out of the swim in 48 37. Uh, Dylan McNeese was leading out of the swim in 44 54. So, not much faster, but maybe a minute or so. Um, and then on the bike, though, the bike times are sensational. So we had Dougal Allen sort of set a new course record at 4.22.13. Now, That's phenomenal for New Zealand. For New Zealand course, th- this is not a 
flat course. It's got a decent, not, not, it's not, certainly not a climbing course, but there's, there's some hills. It's a decent old climb at the start of the, the ride. Not hard, but you know, enough to impact your average speed. The road surface is, uh, is pretty slow, and it's often just a drag back into town. You often have a headwind. Because so, I remember when Bjorn Anderson, I think, rode fourth. I think he rode 4.30 that year we did it. X. And he put like, and Brownie and that were 18 minutes behind yeah. him. Like, you see the odd guy ride 4.30 on this course from time to time, but, you know. No 4.20s. Brownie was 4.29. Joe Skipper was 4.25. Granted, he is a legend rider, as is Dougal Allen, but big fast times on the bike. But what's probably, that's A, very surprising. But the run times were sensational. So we'll find out if there has been any changes to the run, but I don't believe there will have been. Uh, so Brownie, we haven't seen him put in a big stellar run. or He, hasn't, he hasn't needed to at Taupo. When he, uh, like, like the other times when he's run, it's been sort of 250s-ish. But 244, 54 for an 807.58. Coming up on our, our bike. Mm. You know, that's the thing. It's, you know, that kind of run, cool, if you had a kind of moderate ride. No, it might have been a moderate ride. It's just fast day, but... And it wasn't just Brownie that ran well. Joe Skipper ran 245. Callum Millwood won a 248. 248. Matt Hansen set a new course record, 241. And Matt Ra- Russell ran a 245. That is just a s- sensational set of run splits. And even if they've made... I just can't... I've done enough if I've ever seen that many guys well, run 240. What was the previous record? It was 14, wasn't it? So four guys beat the record. Yeah. You know, so Brilliant. 814 was the previous record. So it was... It was great racing. So the story of the guys' race was uh, Dylan McNeese led out of the swim. There was a bit of toing and froing a little bit on the bike. Brownie's group, who, who were down out of the swim, caught the the front group quite early, yeah. quite early on the yeah. bike, like 50k. And I heard Callum Millwood say he was quite surprised because he said they were riding at a reasonable pace. So Brownie and Co must have been absolutely drilling it. Uh, and then coming off the bike, oh, and then it started to splinter. There was a group of 12, slowly started to splinter in the second second part of the bike. And then coming off the bike, it was Cam Brown versus Callum Millwood. And Callum Millwood, to his credit, that he ran with Brownie for a large well, portion of the run. You, you think Brown's got it? You did, but you did wonder, didn't you? But I, I, one of the twi- one of the little updates was Callum Millwood did break away at one stage, but you know by a handful yeah. of seconds. Um, but Callum Millwood's a quality athlete, but Brownie, very impressive. Callum Millwood, equally impressive. He, yeah, well, he went you'd almost say this is one of his greatest wins here. Yeah, he, that's what he was saying in the, the oh, really? video that I've I've said. You know, his first one's fantastic. So Brownie's forty three, nearly forty four. And this is a quality field. Um, yeah, this, we're, like, we're talking about this last week. We were saying, you know, in the last few years, Ironman New Zealand. You know what, John? I was out for a ride. I went for a bike ride. Mm-hmm. I've got a train for this camp we're doing. And I actually got angry yeah. about Ironman New Zealand. Mm-hmm. It should be the championship race. And that it, field, it, yeah. Well, no, regardless. Yeah. It, it, I'm disappointed that WTC have used the championship race as about making money, not mm. about what's the best time of year. Because mm. if it's Australasia, when's the best time to have a championship race? Yeah, March, April. Yeah. Putting it in Cairns, which is what, June? Yeah. You know, that, that's not an Australian. That's purely, let's make a decision to make, sell more tickets. Mm. And I was just thinking, you know what, this is a great race. And fingers crossed, that this becomes a championship race, because, which is probably highly unlikely. Because look at this race. Yeah. It was great. a great race, interesting race. How close was I mean, it, so Brownie went 807. And then if you look down to sixth place, uh, only 12 minutes covering the first six. You often have 12 minutes between first and second at Ironman races. And that's the thing. Ironman New Zealand, the last few years, you had two or three guys turn up and, yeah. you know, it's kind of won pretty early on the run. Yes. You know, whereas this year, we had a great race. And, you know, if Melbourne's not going to happen, which it it's not, so 
let's make Ironman New Zealand a championship mm. race. So just just rewind to the to the race. Silver No, uh, actually, I thought he was going to absolutely belt what everybody. So he smoked it. He had a couple of minutes lead coming off the bike, and then at the first corner. So coming in, in Taupo, you used to kind of run down this little sort of street, and then you hang a left onto the lakeside. He just started locking up, and he was walking, and so he didn't even make it to the first timing mat in the lead. Oh really? Uh, which and this is a guy who's been in the top six in Kona the last two years. Well, because so. I thought he'd won it because because mm. you know I just get off the bike. He's just going to run a nice steady run, and, yeah. and the guys won't uh, catch him. So he he did end up finishing, and he's clipped his ticket. You know, he got uh, eighth. He didn't give up. He ran three oh six, so he still kept running. Yep. Uh, but he was all the way down in eighth place. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're, we're biased. It's our, it's our New Zealand race, but this was some fantastic racing, and Cameron Brown is just uh, sensational. You say it's his best one. It's right up there. I mean, when he ran Bjorn down, he had to run sort of. Uh, 18 minutes or 12 minutes yeah, or whatever it was. That, was. that was pretty but big. But that's probably the strongest field he's ever had. Yeah. And you've got to say the age factor. Yeah. Like, Although he did have, he had a great run once against Luke Bell where he went head-to-head with him. And he has had some good head-to-head ones. But when you're 43, 44, yeah. and you kind of, you haven't had a sensational race for a few years. He's also had some really good races. But yeah, that's pretty impressive. That was, that, that's. But equally the girls. Equally, John. Meredith Kessler. is a rock star. Five years in a row, isn't it? She's going to go down, I reckon, as one of the best athletes that hasn't won a Kona. Outside of Kona, she hasn't had a great race in Kona at all. No, she's never played the game this, She went 8.56 on this course, which is sensational. And she's had also had a fantastic, was it Arizona last year? She is a machine outside of Kona. Um, Lucy Gossage had a Because she can race. swim bike run. Yeah, but Kona's hot and you get, she gets she maybe a bigger she gets unit, excited. She? Yeah. Oh, no, she's not Tall. big. No, no, oh. no, no. You're not thinking of the wrong person. She's she's not. No, she's pretty small. But can I get that any more wrong? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. I think of her as tall. No, you're wrong. Long, lean. No, I must be thinking of somebody else. You're probably thinking of Heather Wirtle, maybe. Maybe I am. Meredith Keith's a very impressive. Uh, but Lucy Gossage, so Heather, oh, now you're going to be calling Heather. Meredith Kessler swam 47, uh, but she was actually down on Lauren Brandon, who swam 46 and swam around most of the guys. So the girls started one minute behind the guys. Lauren Brandon swam 46 when you had guys like Brownie and that swimming 48. So she swam around them and then put another minute and a half into wow. them. So good on her. She didn't finish the race, but she had a great swim. Meredith Kessler swam 47.49, biked 4.56.40, which is a great time on that course, and ran a 3.06 for 8.56.08, break, smashing the course record. Uh, I'm pretty, 100, almost 100% confident that first sub nine, first sub nine on yeah. that course. Lucy Gossage had a great race. She was actually rode quite a bit of time into Meredith Kessler late in the ride. So she was at seven, eight minutes down out of the swim. Brought back five minutes on the bike uh, and only ran a 3.12, so probably paid for that a bit on the run. But still 9.05 is a great time on that course. And she would have had Meredith Kessler under a bit of pressure. Because normally New Zealand is like 9.15, isn't it? Mm. You know, yeah. Or a good, a good day is close to 9. You know, like yeah. a 9.05 is a really good day. Yeah. And so Lucy Gossage, great race for second place, 9.05.08. Uh, and Carrie Lester also had a great day, uh, 9.07. So, and then Laura Siddle, 9.09. So you know, on the girls' side of things, again, you've got 10 minutes or so covering the first five or six. So you know, we're rabbiting on about the guys mainly because it's a Kiwi winning it. But down in seventh place, 9.16. That would win you that race a lot of times. Mm. So Gina Crawford didn't have a good day at it. Uh, she was down there in 9.32. So first through seventh uh, 20 minutes, that's 
that's pretty good racing. Yeah, it's very it's good great. racing. Come on, WTC, make Ironman New Zealand Championship race. Well done, everybody. There's some great age group performances as well uh, at Ironman New Zealand as well. Plenty got a number of guys going sub sub eight. Uh, sub nine, sub eight. Wow, that would be wow, impressive. They even beat Cam Brown. Got no acknowledgement. Well, there is, as you go through the results on Ironman.com, there is a few names that keep coming up before Brownie because uh, they didn't finish and their timing system just sort of has them showing up first. Yep. So, got to give a um, couple of guys a bit of love. Another old old timer who's on the first page here is Bevan McKinnon. He does podcasts well, fitter fitter radio. He was uh, he smashed it like eight forty eight. Eight forty eight. So he swam fifty twenty two. So again, when I raced a few years ago, um, I came out of the water. Bevan was just behind he me. He won your age group. Won the well, he was first age, age grouper overall. Overall, yeah. What was I? I think I was 51, 52. So the swim to me looks like it's maybe a minute to two quicker. But then he rode 4.43 and then ran 3.08. He was second age grouper. Nathan Shearer was first in 8.47. It's because he's got a good name. But yeah, there's a, quite a few guys here that went sub nine. So how many? Like... Uh, so you've got Nathan Shearer, Bevan McKinnon, Hayden Armstrong, Matthew Clark, Chris Sanson, and that's about it. And they all beat Meredith Kessler as well, which is wow. no mean feat. Yeah, wow. So some very impressive races. It does look like it was a fast day, but still, you still got to do it, yeah. the business. And weather conditions were fantastic. So I'm in New Zealand. Great job. Great race, eh? Mm. Come on, WC. I want a championship race here next year. <laughs> Cairns is not the right time for Australian no. athletes. No one wants to peak then. No. They're going to go to Germany, the top guys. Exactly. You know, what's what this about? Mm. I, was, I, was, I was actually angry. John, I don't get angry. Okay. Because I, I got a bit of news in them. I'll, I'll, <laughs> a bit of anger. Yeah. <laughs> and I did notice, you have to, somebody, uh, what do you think of the coverage? I thought coverage is pretty average. The coverage is pretty average when you compare it to Wanaka, which is a similar size race. One thing, they had 1,250 on the start line, which I think is a little bit less than normal. No, I which think is, is, the peak's been about 1,600, hasn't it? Yeah, which is surprising given Melbourne didn't happen. Uh, coverage, the, 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 the blog coverage was, was great, and kept, they were keeping that updated really well. Across the board, though, I mean, just need to pick up their game on the athlete tracker. It's like, it's really, when you, when you watch other races, and you go, oh, it isn't that hard. I'm getting quite regular updates there. And oh, I can, you see where, have you seen New York Marathon? And you can see, right, for, for, I'll go to that age group and I can see where people are. It's Have you seen New York Marathon? No. They, they are the, the leader. Mm. Now, admittedly, they've got 50,000 people with a big budget. You can watch your person the whole race. Mm. It's on, on, on the map. Like, mm. it's phenomenal. I don't expect that. But no, but that, well, it's going to come eventually. I expect to be able to go, right, 40, 44 age group, who's in the lead? Yeah. And just simple stuff like that. Just keep it simple, guys. Just make it happen. Okay, John Boho. Uh, just what Andrew, how's that one, Schindler? He sent through an email just saying, age group qualifiers. Um, hey, guys, I was really keen to find out who the Kona qualifiers for, were for Ironman New Zealand this weekend, but there are no, nowhere are they published on the internet, which made me think this needs to be published by Ironman with the results. It's not anywhere that I can find easily. Ironman fail, question mark. Can you talk about this, particularly because slots roll down and it's not always easy for us age group to figure it out. Good point. You know, I mean New Zealand are actually very good at it. If you do actually go on to the site, they haven't got this year's up there yet, but they do put it under the results as Kona qualifiers. But what I'd really like to see is is a running tally of who's qualified for Kona. You know, just be a little segment of the of Ironman.com website saying, look who's qualified for Kona. Mm, and, and, and where, and where they qualified. I think it'd be great. 
Okay, John's IT update. What happened, mate? I haven't watched the full coverage. I've only watched the highlights. But as kind of predicted last week, it was a flat course. And when you don't have the likes of Mole, uh, of Gomez and uh, the Brownleys, they're absolutely spanking it in that front group. Uh, as you kind of expected in the guys' race, it really came together. And uh, you had the, the main contenders pretty much take it out so it was as predicted Mario Mola took it out in 146.39 despite having a poor swim and also having a penalty on the run so he had to serve uh, 10, is it, either 10 or 15 seconds on the run and he, had, he got to the lead took it at halfway all the guys ran past him he ran back up to them and ran away again it's uh, got to break your heart eh yeah so he is he has got to be he's not a favourite for Rio what's but the course like this one's flat no, 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 Rio's Rio. got a good solid climb in at each lap on okay. the run and how many laps I'd imagine it's eight. So it's enough to on tie the, the legs out. No, on the, on bike, the bike. The bike yep. Enough to tie the legs out. But if he comes off the the bike with the likes of Gomez and Brownleys, he's in contention for the gold medal. Uh, Richard Murray was second. Yahoo Silva was third. You asked me last week about guys that might miss out and stuff for the, the Olympics, and there are some good guys and there's some very good girls. So the Spanish have got quite a battle on their hands, and, and their number th- number, number four person who's going to miss out will be one of the top ten guys in the world. So girls? Not guys. So they're not oh, going okay. to necessarily impact the medals, but there's still going to be some good guys like there is in Olympic sprinting over 100 metres. You don't get the best eight guys in the world into the final. It's um, it's a bit more proportionate by countries. I wonder how many, how many times in a sport the guy who would have won it didn't get in. It's happened a little bit in athletics. Yeah, I can imagine. You yeah. know, like, you know, just through qualifying, they missed out, but they hmm. probably would have been. If they turned up, they probably would have won the gold medal. Girls is... You know, the, you know, Jody Stimpson took out the race um, from Ashley Gentle and Helen Jenkins. So you had first and third there that have not yet qualified for their team for the Olympics, really? and one of them is going to miss out because <laughs> they've already got two girls that are qualified. Who, who's qualified? So you got Non Stanford and what's the other girl's name? Um, can picture it. She got the bronze medal at the Commonwealth Games, and I can't remember her name off the top of my head. But either Jody Stimpson or Helen Jenkins, who both got who got first and third in this race, are going to miss out because there's only three slots. So uh, Jody Stimpson took it out on the run from Ashley Gentle and Helen Jenkins. But good to see Helen Jenkins back racing. I think that sucks. It's kind of a horrible situation for everybody because the person who missed out, it's just going to rip your undies off. Yeah. But also administrators, like, you know, you want to be in a position where you've got lots of great people, but it's horrible as well. Mm. Like, you've got to give that call to someone and say, oh, look, we're not picking you. Usually you, you pick yourself, and in that in the, there's a lot of countries now, it's not discretion. It's like you get yourself picked. Yeah. And uh, this, this is criteria. You meet it, you're in. Yeah, simple as that. Black and white, John. Black and white. Okay. Um, this weekend, we've got... Um, nothing. Nothing. We've got nothing for a few weeks now. Should have had a championship race last weekend. <laughs> Just uh, <laughs> We've dragged that out for a few weeks. There's a bit of prize money now. I saw you got 14k US. It's about the same. It's 75,000 prize money at uh, Taupo, which is US, which is... It's championship race at 150, is it? I think so. So next year, Barry, if you can win it again, mm. they listen to my call. This week's podcast team, we had... Who did we have? Barry Shipley on Legends. Have you got that up there? Yeah, I put yep. it up last week. Barry Shipley. Go listen to legendsoftriathlon.com. Uh, now, we're going to... Now. Yeah, we're... We've got a wetsuit to auction from Blue 70. We had to pause for a second there because John was doing some research and I just I just want to say, John, I'm feeling a bit cold. What, what do I need? You need a thermal helix. Oh, really? How about yeah. that? So there's lots of races on now and this was a challenge Molina had when he was uh, getting ready for the Kelpman last year. He was 
trying to figure out how he could stay warm enough in the water. Blue 70 come to the rescue now. There's so the thicker, thermal helix. So, yeah, it's basically they've come up with a wetsuit that is made to support your endeavours. They've got this sort of chest panel in there so the cold water can take your breath away. Your wetsuit shouldn't. They've redesigned their split chest construction naturally and they've put in all sorts of things in there. So get maximum buoyancy. But the key thing with this new designed helix, and it is different to the standard helix, is it's going to keep you a lot warmer. So you go for, and it's funky colours as well, nice grey stuff. Putting John's computer around. So I can't read anything while he does this. Uh, so we're going to have one on auction. A Batman suit. I know. I'll put it up on our Facebook page. It'll also be on Legends we're going to have one of, of Triathlon. Auction. Yeah, so oh, we've got the Thermal stuff. Helix. So I'll be putting that up there this week. So if you're interested, check it out. I mean, it's a great wetsuit, but if you're, especially if you're looking at colder races, um, and there are more and more out there, this is a suit for you. Check it out. You always get a fantastic price. Or you live price. in a cold area. Yes. You know, like yeah. if you've got a lot of lake swimming, you'd love to do but at certain times of year you can't do it. Yep. Well, this year would be gold. Absolutely. Yeah, so, so guys, we'll, we'll put a link on... Legends, we'll put it everywhere. Put it on Legends of Triathlon, I Am Talk, and... We're going to put it everywhere, <laughs> ...on our Facebook page as well. It keeps you nice and warm, and while you're on there, check out uh, their little... They've got the little skull caps as well. You've got gloves, some races allow, allow gloves, and also talked about those uh, socks I've got as well. Fantastic. Keep okay. yourself warm. Okay, so the Blue 70 Thermal Helix, we're going to have a link to our auction on eBay. Now, be honest, guys... It always goes a little bit cheaper. So if you are looking to get a new wetsuit and you are knowing you're going to a cold race, this is the deal. So check it out. We'll put it on our website. John, we're going to put it everywhere. Yes. Discussion of the week. Last week, John, you're, um, you didn't want to do my flag one, which I thought no, you would. I, I thought you were going to be really I, keen. Yeah. It's punched in the face, isn't it? Well, I haven't yeah. voted because I haven't got my forms yet. And I'm mm. going to London now, so mm. I might not vote. Yeah. Do I get a punch in the face if I don't vote? Kicking uh, the balls. If, if you delegated to me or Joe to come and tick the correct box, then I'll let you away with it. <laughs> but otherwise, are you, are you feeling optimistic? Uh, not really. I'm feeling. I think it's going to be pretty close, but not overly optimistic. I'm going with you, John. Good. I'm giving you my vote. Good. I wasn't going to. Yeah. I just, just didn't want to punch in that beautiful yeah, face like, of yours. Well, I've seen him some fight. It's an animal. Okay, last week's discussion was basically the LC, low-carb, high-fat diet. Everyone's doing it. It's all the rage. So what do you guys think about it? Have you done it? And if so, what have been the benefits of doing it? And I was really keen to hear some of the negative stuff, but the, to be honest, there wasn't a, a great deal in there. Um, there were, was a few people that said that initially worked really well for them they fell off the wagon and then put the put the the weight back on um but by and large people are saying lucy francis lost over eight kgs without effort training got easier racing got faster i never at the wall and these days i'm even forget to eat as i'm never hungry it has been a revelation for my sport and lifestyle in general plus i only eat natural food by the way john well done for team i am taught for getting lucy gossage some wheels yeah i don't know where she ended up getting those from yeah, they're pretty sure it's for us. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Who wheels? We got an email from us saying my wheels are screwed. Can you help me? Mm-hmm. And we did. So we go. Um, I'm going to go with Gerard Smith, and he's got. I went from high diet and wait a second. I went from a very high diet to a very low carb diet. Must have been close to uh, how does that ketogenic. Yep. Ketogenic levels, but I'd never measured it to know for sure. I found the fat incredibly satisfying. Uh, how to say one? I can't. Satiating, sorry. Yeah. So was eating very little, little compared to what I was used to. Because of that, I lost weight very quickly and became almost game to watch how quickly the weight fell off. However, I lost too much too quick and combined with an increased train load, I got sick and dug myself in a reasonably big 
fatigue hole. I was always tired and cold and everything seemed a struggle. It took a good six months to recover from that. I love rich food and veggies with every meal, yes, even breakfast, and still use the basic principles of vegetables, protein, fat as the cornerstone of my day-to-day diet. However, I now conclude more carb around training and feel much better for it. And I'm not obsessive about eating perfectly all the time. Whilst I'm a believer in lower carb, higher fat, I don't believe extreme low carbs are right for everyone. So Gearing, I started two years ago and usually stick to less than 50 grams of carbs a day. First three weeks were hard and even steady runs feeling pretty hard. Pace soon returned and knocked nearly 30 minutes off my marathon time. Um, Still use carbs on race day but not sure if I need them. I just haven't risked not using them on a race so far. Mark Thatcher's got, I'm I'm kind of picking ones a little bit more critical of it just because we've got lots of ones here um been trying to do this since early december uh so three months in feeling good lost around three kg but am exhausted trying to ride up hills and running pace collapses after about 10 miles trying to decide whether to continue or not Mm. so and look, as I said, um, if you want to find out more about how other people have experienced, just come onto our Facebook page and there is lots of really good success stories. Um, and there's not, you know, some of the feedback that I have, I've got that, that's not on there is, you know, some people find that they're, and, and, and um, we've had this addressed as well, they feel that their top end sometimes goes a little bit, especially early on. Um, and well, that's Glenn Newbolt, he's got, did you say diet? <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah so but yeah it's good to, good to get the feedback from everybody so not a lot of negative quite a lot of positive especially from people that have moved quite significant amounts of weight but like anything i think with that you just got to be a little bit careful you don't go too extreme too quick okay so we've got john tucker here do you want to read that one go for, you go for, uh john tucker john tucker just been listening to episode 505 i am talk oh, show yes. long time listener i've been very impressed with john's interests in lchf and pleased that you had grant on the show recently i'm a huge fan now of the lchf and i can't stop myself from eating lcf low fat low carb since uh i man melbourne in 19, uh, 20, 2015 i began doing it in september 14 and have been in ketosis how do you say it ketosis ketosis, ketosis. pretty much ever since I've attached my post-race, oh, he sent through his big post-race interview, uh, review that sent uh, many interested in the outlines of how I worked within this race and this strategy. Suffice to say, five years before I did Ironman New Zealand and had a tough day out, and when I did Ironman Melbourne, I shaved almost two and a half hours off and nutrition was no longer the fourth discipline. Please just, uh, oh, he basically sent that through, so he's a real big fan of it. Yep, the Holy Hammer also sent one through, and he can now go out for sort of five hours, uh, do 3,000 metres of climbing, and with one hour of he's FTP. He's starvation. He's not even using carbs. Murray? Yeah. yeah, so Murray's doing a lot of faster training sessions and getting through those okay. Um, so yeah, and he's, he's shifted a lot of weight. So Murray put on quite a bit of weight when he had some some surgery back in January 2015 and then he used my fitness powder to help him get get start shifting that weight. But he's, he's found, A, he's a lot more, you know, um, can go out and do those really long sessions and doesn't really find and I can tell you he's riding pretty bloody well and it doesn't really find it affects his, his sort of upper range too much okay well this week's discussion we've got an email through from Brett Chan very interesting this question actually interested in your thoughts on the announcement of Ironman 70.3 in Whistler on the same day as Ironman Canada and incidentally Ironman Calgary 70.3 what do you think about having two 70.3s in Western Canada on the same day and also having both a 70.3 and a full on the same day on predominantly the same course does it water down the experience of the full races or are you in favour of having more people 
there for the overall weekend. So we've had this discussion before in terms of if you've got a half and a full on the same day, what is the experience? So didn't want to revisit that. I think the consensus was um, it's good to get more numbers there, but you do kind of feel that if you're doing the full, it's not necessarily all about you as opposed as when you've got a, a standalone full. Um, but what this sort of has got me thinking of is, is what's the sort of state of the sport where you are in terms of triathlon and Ironman racing? So we hear all this doom and gloom potentially coming out of um, the States, you know, Ironman's not expanding, blah, blah, blah. Um, in New Zealand, I definitely think that the, the sport is on the decline a bit in terms of is triathlon it? in general. Yep. Um, Why? Beats me. We don't have any rock stars. People are too busy to do things. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's too busy. Um, yeah, I'm just interested to know elsewhere in the world. That is a top hundred sport. It does work. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I'm just interested to know what's the state of sport, particularly Ironman, where you're from. Because when I look at this and they're putting a 70.3 on in Whistler on the same day that they have Canada there, it's basically just says to me, okay, we haven't got enough numbers to do an Ironman here. We've got to put a 70.3 on to get the numbers up. I can't see any other reason why they'd want to do it. Do you think it's also that there's more choices now? Like, and I know it's kind of an obvious thing, but like when we, when I did Iron Man, it was kind of like if you wanted to be the hardcore bugger, if you want to do the ultimate kind of challenge, Iron Man was the answer. Mm-hmm. Whereas now with like CrossFit, like mm-hmm. CrossFit appeals to that same kind of mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you got these different choices out there that would appeal to somebody who's because Iron Man is that kind of I want the biggest challenge kind of person. There's more than, you know, there's so much more competition now mm. as well, which I think probably hurts Ironman. Yeah. So, yeah, just in your area or your country, what's the state of the state of the sport? And I have to say, Brett Chan's got one of the best nicknames of all time. Yep. Wah! Yeah. How do you spell that, though? He's got Wacha. Yeah, well, you know what? I'll give it to him. Yeah. I'm not the best speller. Sponsor, John. Athlinks.com. The Holy Hammer. He's getting lots of mentions on today's show. He sent me an email through. He's already had a show named after him. Yes. He said, uh, how do I add an event to Athlinks? And I just said, well, it's not that hard. It's but, not rocket science. But no, but it, it, maybe it's not as obvious as it should be. You basically log in. I said, I'm going to do this on the show and see how long it takes. So you literally, you log in, and then up the top of the page, you're going to see events and results once you're logged in. And then in the top right corner, you're going to see add a race. Yes. And then I'm going to put in C to Sky Challenge, C to Sky Great race that's happening in Christchurch. On April the 3rd. You're the one doing the race, don't look at me. I know. And then basically away you go and it's got all the different, uh, You can. it's got all the sort of formats for triathlon or you can customise it. Um, click boom, 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 date, website, job's done. Is that it? Yeah. Back Especially. It Can't be that easy, John. No, it is. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to plug in a couple of details here, but if I, if, if I had a standard distance triathlon here, say it was a sprint try, which it's not, I've got a slightly different format, I would literally check that box and I'd get add course and it's done. That's not my adding my result in there. That's actually getting the event listed up there. That means when you come back. And when you come back, then you just got to add the link to the results and then you just claim your result. So that literally is how long it's taken me. It's going to take me an extra minute because I've got to customise it, but for a standard distance race, whether it be an Ironman, um, half Ironman, Olympic sprint, whatever, then it's done already. Wow. There you go, team. So, so nice yeah, and so, easy. So you've got no excuse, team. No excuse. No, don't say I haven't got time. Don't say you're busy because John will smash you in the face. People are poking fun at me on Facebook about that now. Well, someone put a post on my Facebook 
Mm. The difference between productivity and being busy. I was like, God, you tosser. <laughs> <laughs> Who was that? Name shame them then, Bevan. Okay, then. Oh. Let's, let's go. Let's all name shame them. Nast, angry Bevan's coming out. You're a little let's bit go, tired. You're not getting enough sleep I, last you know night. What? I am tired because I'm on the plane tomorrow. I, uh, uh, tonight, I'm leaving midnight. I want to sleep. So I stayed up till one o'clock last night working yeah. and then got up at 4.30 for classes. So yeah. I have no sleep. So you're not a tosser. I was just tired. But let me have a look. <laughs> Who is the tosser? <laughs> Here we go. Ed Hawkins, yeah. you bloody tosser. <laughs> nice. I felt one. like putting only tossers would put this up here, but, <laughs> but smile face after it. I'm joking, Ed. I love you. Oh, you can put a love now, can't you, or something? Okay, well, look, I'll, I'll put a love sign next to it. Can I do that? Like, love it, Ed. Love it. Love it. I'll put, Ed, you're not a tosser. <laughs> <laughs> so check it out, athlinks.com, guys. Very, very quick and easy. You just got to. Click on that events and results tab and then in the top right corner you'll see add event and then that's how you get your event up there. Obviously you can search for your event that might already be listed so it might be there. But for example, Murray did the Lake Canary Triathlon at the weekend and uh, and I'm sure that that one's not up there. Okay, John. Athlinks.com, guys. Get on it. Even if you are busy. Exactly. <laughs> Coach's Corner, John. We're not going to put music on because we've got to rush things today. So Coach's Corner. Because we're busy. Well, I didn't say it. <laughs> I, I've just got I've got a productive appointment at twelve thirty. So, <laughs> so I've had quite a few people email me about um, low carb, high fat. So you're doing it. Um, so I've uh, week two, week three. I've had, I've had a couple of weeks now, and and just sort of thought, well, a number of people asked me for my experiences on it, and so here we go. What I did, I actually measured and it was part of my, my course, everything I ate for four days, and this was a pretty typical tra- um, training period. I think I had a four-hour ride in there and a long run and a swim, so it was pretty standard. But standard this is why you are trying to do the ketosis. Yeah, yep. yeah. And so I was sort of pitching to try to get to um, around about that sort of 30 grams of carbohydrate. Here's what it sort of spat out once I actually looked at all the numbers. I was, and This is an average per day. I was having 203 grams of fat, um, 20, 73 from saturated, two from trans fats 29 from poly and 86 from monosaturated fats so it came out at 47 grams of carbohydrate which is a bit higher than i wanted i thought you had to do under 50 yeah you've got to go under 50 but ideally you get down to sort of 30 ish Um, and the reason it went a bit higher i had one day which didn't go quite so well it wasn't a terrible day but one day was like 60 and the other day was sort of 40 i didn't have bread it was that damn coconut milk or something in my uh, fish curry that I had and it mm. blew it out a little bit. Protein, it was 136 grams and alcohol was 8 grams. So in terms of how I was actually getting to those numbers, typical day for me was going to be um, uh, for breakfast, I'd have some sort of eggy sort of mix, you know, like a three eggs, um, mushrooms, spinach, tomatoes, etc., and just uh, whisk it all together. Lunch would typically be um, a salad, so it'd just be loads of greens, and then maybe uh, tuna and avocado and mayonnaise sort of mixed together and throw in whatever else I felt like. And then dinner was was whatever it was going to be, but really had to obviously avoid any processed carbs. So it might have been, again, sort of chickeny sort of stuff, or um, you know, some, one night I probably had burgers without the buns and things like that. So that's pretty much how I did it. And then in terms of snacking and stuff, would generally be on macadamia nuts, um, quite a lot of nut-based stuff. Uh, things I had to really avoid was you know fruits, and that's probably one area which um, I don't like about it. And, um, I'll get back onto it, but for those that, for that period, yes, I did. Yeah. Um, so the fr- only fruit that I was really having was was berries, um, and and that sort of that's what boosted up the carbohydrate intake a bit having in the berries and then the other thing that boosted my intake up was having 
yogurt, um, sort of Greek yogurt with a bit of, which had some honey in it, um, and that sort of boosted up my carbs as well, which is what I'd take out if I want to go even lower. So actually, how things went for me is what I found is I've been doing for about two weeks now in terms of going really low, is uh, not bonking. You know, I think that's one thing that some people who maybe come... You haven't been bonking? No. So I think if you were to come from a position where you go, you're a really high-carb person and then you're going to basically next to no carbs, I think the bonking would happen a lot more for those people. But yeah. for me, I was going from a, a pretty low-carb diet to a really low-carb diet, um, but I didn't have any problems with bonking out and training. Did some sessions fasted, did some sessions where I was just having some nuts out there. So for example, I did a, a four-hour ride in the hills with Phil one day and I just had some macadamias and almonds, got through that, no dramas at all. Uh, one big thing is losing weight. I've lost quite a bit of flab pretty quickly, yeah. significant amount of flab that I haven't been able to shift before. People think I'm really small and skinny, and I've got a small frame, but I actually do carry a reasonable amount of yeah, flab. I could be a good So that's actually been quite a big shift for me, is actually going, grab the tummy and there ain't much there and that's only within a couple so of weeks. So how do you stop the weight loss then? Because you don't want to lose, you don't, like as much as I know you've probably got that 2 or 3 kg. I'm not, I mean I've still got plenty of flab that I can, I'm quite mm. comfortable losing. I'm not concerned about okay. getting, getting getting light at all. Um, finding you know, quickly over the last sort of several months so as I've been lowering it down is can go significantly longer in training sessions without uh, needing food. And in terms of how I actually felt going out training last week and the week before, it was a bit of a challenge to actually figure that one out because I smoked myself so badly over about a four-day period or five or six-day period that last week I felt rubbish all week. But I don't, I'm not putting it down to the diet. And by the weekend, I was actually starting to feel um, normal again. And I think it was more that I just got myself in a big hole. And last week was scheduled to be an easier week. And by the weekend, I was uh, feeling right as rain. So what are the negatives? Uh, when I was sort of getting into that stage where I was in sort of, I think, mildish ketosis, so I had the little strips you'd urinate on, and um, that was sort of indicating that I was sort of in that range. Uh, I was having some pretty good dizzy spells. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, Is it dangerous, like if you're on the bike? Not, not out training more if I'm sitting down watching TV and just getting mm-hmm. up from that. But no no problems, didn't okay. have any issues. So it wasn't uh, like concentration, just... No, just <laughs> no. That would be a problem. Oh, that would be. Yeah. As I said, training was a bit indifferent, but overall, I don't really think it had too much of an impact. So, for example, I'd leave Bevan's place and I'd just have a handful of nuts before starting a, a pretty intense um, bunch ride and get through that um, okay. And I actually set a new. Um, I've just started doing Strava stuff and set best time last week on a, on a hill climb. So, I don't think it had too much impact on my uh, output. But I think the next few weeks is where I'm really going to see how it. Um, how it unfolds. Uh, a lot of people talk about getting a bit hazy and stuff with their thinking. I didn't really have too much of that. I mean, maybe the athletes that I coach yeah, can, can, can <laughs> comment on that. John didn't put anything up last week and he told me to do uh, 20 times 20 minutes as hard as I could go. Yeah. No, it didn't seem to have any problems there. And I think in terms of my thoughts, um, I don't think this is a fad. You know, I think we've had fads come and go. Um, I think there's enough top quality academics that are on board with this that we are going to see a, a pretty big shift mm. and I think that's going to be here to stay and you, we hear enough success stories from, from athletes that it's going to work well. Um, I think where athletes go wrong in the past is they don't do that, they think they're low carb but they're not really measuring anything and so they think oh, I'll stop eating bread 
and they think they're low carb, but they're mm. probably still having quite a bit of carb in terms of from from fruits, from um, maybe rice or, or wherever. I'm absolutely convinced the only way that you can actually figure out how your eating's going is if you just track your nutrition for about a week using an app, and then you'll actually see where the carbs come from. Yep. I think if you don't do that, you, I, I think so it. many people have failed, and they think they lose their topping because they're in that grey zone, and they're going, I'm low carb, but how you're long not do you really. Oh, that, I think, uh, from what um, Grant? Grant was saying, I think you, I've only been in it for a couple of weeks, and I'm going to start relaxing things now. I'm not going to get overly anal about that. So, but what what do you want to aim for? About a hundred carbs now? Or? Yeah, yeah. And just uh, I'm just going to fit in with the family a bit more. So I'm going to go really low carb for sort of during the day. But when it comes to dinner time, I'm not going to be a tosser about it with the rest of the family and just sort of fit in fit in with them. I'm going to bring fruit, some fruits back in. But I would say yes, I'd be in that sort of hundred hundred and fifty range, and then. If I have a, you know, if we have a rice-based dinner, I'm not going to be stressing, going, oh no, here we go, this carbs, get them away from me. Yeah, uh, I think just got to chill out a little bit. Well, it's also like when you go out socially and stuff like that as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah I, I cracked on. Difficult I cracked on Saturday night because I had the kids out camping yeah. and they all had leftover chips and stuff. And <laughs> I was chips like, is <laughs> 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 that my kryptonite. <laughs> you can't leave any food there, kids. Come on. <laughs> Uh, For your dad's sake. (laughs) So look, overall, um, I'm fine. Again, this is a tiny little case study and I haven't done any racing on it. But uh, so far for me and from what I've seen and the athletes that I've worked with, really good way to shift some weight. And uh, and for me, it's about, you know, if, if you're a big athlete and you haven't been able to shift that weight or if you've had major issues with race day nutrition and you just can't figure it out, I really think this is worthwhile doing and if you can get to a state where you can go into a race and yes we've heard from lots of success stories how people they still go really high carb in the race yeah. but if you're not if you're somebody who goes I just can't do that if you can go if I can start utilizing a bit more fat and I can afford to have a little bit less on race day then this is just going to be absolutely gold if you can get lighter well, yeah, it's worth so much speed, isn't it's it? It's worth so much speed on the run. So importance of salt, all that stuff Grant talked about is really important, mm. you know, salt as well. You, do, you have got here that you do find it pretty restrictive and For the takes ketosis. discipline and thinking. Yeah, it does. And it's also, I've, I've reason, one of the reasons I've lost the weight as well is because I've been a bit more disciplined and you yeah, do that. And yeah, that, that's sure a big part have, of it. Yeah, exactly. Um, You've got rules. Because sometimes I just think with people, if you gave them rules that they're stuck within, People mm. will probably lose weight. Yeah, you know, so it's it's always a difficult one. Probably the, a couple of areas that I don't really like too much as well is um, I don't want to be stuck eating meat all the time. Because um, you're a bit of a, you're not a you're not a bloody veggie, but yeah. Yeah, but I prefer in terms of sustainability side of things as well. I just I, I'm not going to go vegetarian, but I prefer to only have meat. You know, maybe three times a week rather than having meat every single day, and in some cases twice a day. It's hard not to in this world, isn't it? Meat. Yeah, well, uh, you, you need a lot of meat in a low. Carb. You, you, spoke, yeah, you you do need to just think about it a bit more. Yeah. yeah. So, no, look, overall, Hard really positive. Harder with the family. Um, Is Belinda into it? So you want to go down that path? Not really. We, we eat really healthy at dinner time anyway. Mm. But um, if you if you want to stay below that 50 grams of carbs, you do have to compromise quite a bit at dinner. Okay. Um, and so, so I'm just... What about, like, can you, what about treats? But it, it's the, in Grant's book, I mean, I think you get, you sort of do the 80-20 rule with most of these things. Yeah. Is if you stick to it 80% of the time and you go off rails for, you know, maybe one or two meals a week, it's not really that big a deal. Yep. Just don't take it too seriously. Um, but if you can stick with things 80% of the time, I think you'll be on to, onto a winner. So I haven't had a chance to read Grant's book, but we, we had that in the last week's show notes, the one that he, he's got the... Performance, sports performance. Yeah, one, so you can check that out. And it's quite a short read, I think. So mm. did you read it? 
Yep, it's good. Yep. It's, it's, it's um, pretty it's, simple. Yep, it's easy easy reading. Just one other thing, Grant talked a lot about the, the salt side of things. Um, we've got a little promo code for you guys, especially for I Am Talk listeners. If you want to go to shopsaltstick.com and get salt sticks, um, use the promo code I Am Talk and you get 25% off nice. um, products. So if you want to get go get yourself some salt sticks, you only use it three times and there's only 250 coupons there. So if you want to get salt sticks, go to shopsaltstick.com. Okay, that sounds, that's a hard one, isn't it? Say mm. that 10 times fast. <laughs> um, Jombo, we've got an interview. We've got an interview from uh, with Coach from Oxygen Addict. Rob Wilby. Good old Rob Wilby, and uh, he's going to talk about the run walk. So here it is right now. Jombo, we've got, we've got another coach. We have, and we've got, we're, we're revisiting a topic that we haven't discussed for quite a while. And it's a topic that, I don't know, we're, sometimes we maybe have things that, people think go in and out you know we've had like the you know the barefoot thing and that sort of seems to have gone out of favor for with a lot of people in terms of the the business model uh, it seems like five fingers are, are not really selling like they used to and one topic we also used to discuss a lot is and that's not to say that there's anything wrong with barefoot running I think barefoot running is fantastic but um, sometimes it's just not not that practical for some people but one other topic that I was pretty hot on um, a while ago especially when I was uh, running the marathon a few years ago and certainly used it in my Ironman racing was uh, the run walk protocol so I want to revisit that today and somebody who's got plenty of experience with this is uh, Rob Wilby from oxygenaddict.com uh, they've got a coaching service there over in the UK and we're going to talk to Rob about run walk and uh, welcome along to the show Rob. Hey thanks very much for having me on chaps I, uh, I really appreciate it it's uh, I'm a long time listener and fan of the show so it's great to uh, to finally talk to you both in the flesh as it were. <laughs> Maybe tell us a little bit about yourself first in terms of uh, where, where you're sort of from and, and where you're based and then we can get stuck into to run walk. Yeah, sure. So uh, my coaching company's based in Knutsford in Cheshire, which is kind of in the middle of uh, middle of England. Um, my background is I got into triathlon coaching about five years ago. And, and like a lot of guys did, it was getting into it through the sort of club coaching scene and people, you know, asking for help and can you help me with this training plan? And and over the five years, it, it grew and grew with more people asking for help and advice. And I was lucky enough to be able to go down initially part-time from my full-time teaching job and started doing a bit more coaching on the side. And then earlier last year, I decided I was going to be brave mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and make the jump to full-time triathlon coaching. So I'm really lucky now that that's what I'm able to do. Um, I do some coaching for British triathlon and I'm one of their coach educators so I do a bit of work training the coaches for British triathlon as well so it's one of those uh, one of those multiple income careers at the minute. I bet um, having a background in teaching you know I, I certainly didn't have that from a coaching perspective um, but it certainly helps when you're when you're out there actually in the field coaching in terms of actually managing situations and uh, understanding how people learn. Yeah well I think it I was really lucky that I, I came from a running background originally. My background was entirely running coaching and, and I was originally a PE teacher, but I was a bit unique in that I was the PE teacher who was never that into football or rugby. I was always into the <laughs> athletics and the running and the cross country. So I had a nice little niche for myself there and uh, and sort of used to get to work with the kids, training them for athletics and cross country. And, and obviously when you've got a teacher who's into slightly different sports, you do form a kind of tight-knit gang around you and and we had some real successes of kids who went right the way through to, to international level. Wow. Um, but you're right, it, it gives you the chance to sort of, I 
came into it having worked with people a lot and rather than being obsessed with training programs it's always for me been about sort of getting to know the athlete and getting to know the person and figuring out what makes them tick and I think that's probably more important than than the actual training plan you give people is the trust that the athlete puts in you that what you're telling them is actually it's actually going to work well also with um teenagers it's all about behavior management as well and, and i know adults are a bit more mature but that dealing with behavior management of you know people is a big skill to have isn't it <laughs> i tell you what man if you came down to some of my club sessions the adults are harder to control than the kids <laughs> are a lot of the time. <laughs> but yeah it's uh, a lot of that was a lot of that was about managing the kids behavior and um and those skills are transferable because a lot of the time what you've got to do is sell the kids the idea that what they're going to be doing is going to be the best thing ever. Mm. And that's a skill that you, you kind of need coaching anybody anything because if you're trying to sell somebody the idea they have to go and swim 40 by 100 meters, that, that little bit of salesman technique comes in useful. Mm. Yeah. Now, when it comes to, to run, walk, you know, um, I've talked about how I do it on the podcasts before. Um, we've had sort of guys like Gordo sort of talk a little bit about his methodology and... Um, and the other fellow who I can't know, no, uh, I can't remember his name now, Bobby McGee. Yeah, Bobby you, McGee. Yeah, yeah, you said Bob. Yeah. <laughs> and but the, with the athletes that I coach, it often it varies a lot in terms of how they find it actually <laughs> work, works for them. Um, what, what, what sort of got you onto to the run walk and, and maybe sort of talk us through you, how it's evolved and, and how you prescribe it? Well, I mean, to be honest with you, man, a lot of it came from reading Bobby McGee's stuff. I was a massive fan of his coaching and followed his blog online for years. And and for me, it was a case of trying it for myself initially because I was one of these guys who was really struggling with having been a decent runner in real life and then a decent runner in triathlon over like 5K and 10K in the shorter distance fairly decent runner over the half Ironman distance but when it came to Ironman I was just falling apart and you know walking for miles and miles and thinking you know what's going on I'm, I'm sure I'm fit enough to do this I just don't seem to be able to have the endurance to get through it so as part of the search of trying to work out what was going on stumbled across Bobby McGee's stuff and and read a lot of Gordo stuff and I thought well you know I'm I'm a good runner. I don't want to have to walk. You know, the ego is massive for me. Mm. I don't want to have to walk. I'm going to run the whole way because I'm a real runner. And again, failed again and thought, well, I'll give this a crack this time and, and really knuckled down for a season and did the sort of 9-1 walk in training and was amazed after the first long run that I did. I just wasn't sore. The day after, having been, you know, that, that traditional day after the long run, having battered quads and really, really sore calves, I felt absolutely great and could have gone for another two-hour run there. And I thought immediately, well, you're on to something here, man. There's, you know, if Gordo's preaching, and at the time, I think if you remember, he ran something like 113 or a 114 off the bike in a half Ironman and then he went on to run like 244 at Canada or 245 at Canada doing the run walk method and so I was like well I'm sold on it if he can go that fast you know I can certainly do this as a guy who is aspiring to kind of run 320 um, so that was my background with it personally but just spectating a lot of the Ironman events you're struck by how many people are just they're just walking because they have to for the second half of the marathon. Even really fit athletes fall apart. And even though they might be running 130, 135 at the halfway point, they then have to walk the whole last 12, 13 miles. And, you know, it takes them two and a half, three, four hours to finish that last half marathon. And basically by, by doing this run walk from the beginning, it seems to give you some kind of reset and your body can, it gets a kind of break, obviously, you know, a break from the constant pounding. 
And you can just kind of, you can just go for longer, for faster, without having that sort of epic falling apart at the end of an Ironman. Mm-hmm. For, for yourself, what kind of protocol do you use in training and racing or even that you deal with your athletes? And does it vary based on the different distances that people are running? Yeah, I keep it as simple as I can. I went with 9-1 from the start and that's that's kind of what I've always stuck with. So the athletes who come to me, whatever their long run is in their, in their week one of the training, it's going to be a 9-1 run walk. So they're going to do nine minutes of running and then they're going to do a minute of walking. And the key with the walking is it's not just like, a, oh, I'm having a relax and I'm chilling out and your arms are down by your sides. The key is we want you to keep a high stride rate going as you're walking, which can kind of look a bit funny. And you also want your arms bent and kind of driving along a bit like a race walker would do almost. Mm. So um, my wife's had a bit of a laugh with me because we've been out driving in the car and we've been driving down a road and seen a runner in the distance who's kind of power walking along. And she said to me, oh, look at this. It's someone doing a run walk. It's one of your athletes. <laughs> and I, as we've got closer, it actually has been one of my athletes doing a run walk <laughs> training. So, I mean, it does look a bit funny and you've kind of got to park your ego go there but if you just walk normally two things are going to happen you're going to lengthen your levers and you're going to put a lot of stress on your hamstrings and your pelvis and you're also going to slow down quite a lot whereas if you think of this as kind of a a dynamic purposeful fast strided walk um, not quite as fast as a race walker would do but still trying to drive yourself along with bent arms you get some kind of muscular reset and after that minutes up you're good to go again Mm. so yeah keep it really simple whatever the distance they're running they're doing nine minutes of running and one minute of walking and you know when guys first come in the long run might only be 45 minutes and they'll say you're kidding aren't you do you, you know do you think i'm rubbish why are you making me walk every every 10 minutes but i explained to them that even my elite athletes are doing this protocol and, and it's kind of a hard sell at first but once they experience that that first day after a real long run and they're not sore they go oh all right i'm willing to give this a go now I, th- I think one of the absolute keys, and you, I'm sure you will have experienced this as well, is it's got to be done from the get-go. Um, and where most people seem to fail is they go, I'm going to do the run walk in the second half of the run, and by then the damage yeah. is done. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's game over by that point, isn't it? And it's it's a real important thing, this. I think you've got to choose to do this as your protocol, and you've got to choose to go from the start of my run. And this will work in a half Ironman run or an Ironman run. I'm going to do this 9-1 religiously. And it can really work quite well in a racing situation because the aid stations are usually a mile apart or 2K apart, which which kind of plays nicely into this 9-1 and one rhythm. If you're trying to run through the aid stations, I mean, anyone who's tried it knows they're going to spill drinks all over themselves. And you're looking at the business end of three hours covered in Coke or Gatorade and <laughs> Mine's already like playing tricks with you and saying, you know, my feet hurt, my legs hurt. You don't want to be covered in sticky stuff as well. So slow down a little bit before you get to the aid station. I usually say like 20 to 30 meters before. Go to your walk then. You can clearly see what you want to get from the aid station. Purposefully walk through, get your drinks, get your gel, take your drink and your gel, walk through the aid station. And before you know it, that minute's up and you're off and you're running again and you've got the hydration in, you've got the calories in and so there's this dual benefit that while you're resetting your body and you're ready for this next nine minute interval you've also got the calories in as well. Just in terms of um, running speeds and paces and stuff how, how do you sort of deal with that because you know a lot of people have in their head right I want to be able to do the run 
in whatever way, but I want to be able to do it in three hours 30 or I want to be able to do it in four hours um, flat. And so you'll be able to work out your pace you're going to run at, um, but how do you sort of factor in the, the walking in terms of trying to say, right, if you want to run a 3.30, we know that that's averaging five minute Ks, um, you need to run at whatever pace, or, or, or how do you sort of work that out when people ask you specifics on, on paces and stuff to factor in the walking? <sighs> Yeah, that's a that's a really great question, and I think that there's two things here: there's theory, and then there's reality. So the theory is somebody says to you, "I want to run a three thirty marathon," and I know that means I've got to do five minute k's, and this nine one thing's going to screw it all up. But the reality of it is, most people, and here we're talking ninety five percent of people, are not going to be able to maintain that five minute k. And when they get into the you know the mile eighteen point of the marathon, if they're then going to end up having to walk for long periods of time, and usually we've got remember it's not a very pleasant walk at this point it's you know doing agony the the hip flexors are killing the quads are killing they're probably struggling to walk at three miles an hour if they're looking at the business end of six seven eight miles of agonizing walking they're going to lose an hour and a half or two hours so the bigger picture is firstly i'll say don't worry about how it's going to affect your overall pacing because if this means you can run strong all the way through the marathon like who cares whether your pace is actually eight minutes a mile or 820 a mile or five minutes a k or 520 a k it's only going to cost you i've done the maths for a 330 marathon as it happens i think it costs you about six and a half or seven minutes in terms of how much actually slower you'll go for walking a minute every 10 minutes if you're running at five minute k's so already you're looking and going well it's actually just not that big a deal those seven minutes if someone's going to run a 337 marathon as opposed to running a four hour 20 or a four hour 50 marathon, actually, that's a massive time saving against what will probably happen in reality. Now, the other way you can look around is if you've got, you know, some of my really sharp guys who are looking at qualifying for Kona will say, okay, you've practiced this in training. So we'll pick the pace up by 10 seconds, okay? And we'll have you running at 450s instead of five minutes. Mm. You've already accounted for a little bit of that time loss. And then when they get into the business end of the racing and you know we all know the guys who are chasing age group slots or they're chasing the Kona or the world championship 70.3s that race is decided in the last six miles of the marathon or the last three miles of the half marathon so if they can be competitive and run harder at that point it actually comes down to a running race for a lot of those guys you know despite the fact it looking like there's loads of time there's always places where people are actually racing somebody else to win that slot and you know the finish line time might not show that but they've had a battle with somebody in the last two or three or four miles and somebody's crumbled and somebody's won and the guy who's crumbled doesn't get the slot and the guy who wins does so this protocol lets them get into a place where they can actually race over the last three four five six miles of the day when everybody else is falling apart and the mental benefit of that is massive what do you think are the biggest challenges of run walk the biggest challenges of run walk yeah. i think the first thing like you guys have already said it's the ego it's getting people used to the idea that you know as i experienced and said you don't want to accept i'm gonna to have to do some walking you know you're thinking i'm a great runner i don't want to have to walk but you have to put the ego on one side and if you can deal with that early it's one of the best things, I think, that I remember Gordo writing in his blog years ago. He used to practice on the bike, getting dropped by people because it was really good mental training for his ego for on race day, letting people go. So I think practicing this in training and letting your ego just get rid of the idea that in some way walking is failing. Mm -hmm. 
I think it's failing if you're forced to do it at the end of your race, but if it's part of your overall strategy to run the fastest overall race you can, then your mind somehow, you know, gets to deal with it much better. Yeah, and probably the last thing I'd say is just men- on the mental side of things, um, once you get into the groove of these things, um, it's basically doing the marathon as interval training. You know, you, f- you, you can go, right, I've just got to run to the next aid station or whatever distance it might be, and then I'm getting a little break. You do you do have to really concentrate on the, the Starting walking Starting again? Y- y- yes, and you've got to concentrate to make sure that you're walking at a brisk pace so you don't get to switch off, but it is a case of, right, in 10 minutes time I get to have a little little breather and my breathing rate will go down, my heart rate will go down a bit, but mentally that's a, a big piece of feedback I get from a lot of people. Yeah, I think that's a really big one. Mentally, you're not going out there to run a marathon, you're just going out there to run for nine minutes. And most people find that much, much easier to think, right, all I've got to do is make it to that next aid station. And it gives them a minute then to mentally draw themselves together and go, right, can I do another nine minutes? You're damn right I can. I'm going to push on as hard as I can. And I think especially around the sort of the 18 mile marker in the Ironman marathon, you know, you've already run for a long way. You've been out there for eight, nine hours already people at that point are really not even needing to look for an excuse to slow down and stop and have a walk. If that's already part of your strategy, if you know you're going to get a walk in another nine minutes anyway, you can usually push onto the aid station, get a drink, get a gel and refresh yourself and then really push on for the next uh, the next bit. So yeah, mentally it's a massive bonus. Nice. So guys, if you want to um, follow Rob and, and what he's all about, you go to oxygenaddict.com. So Rob, maybe just tell us a bit more about what you guys are, what you guys are up to. Yeah, so uh, so we've just put a new website together, actually, um, team.oxygenaddict.com. And what we're looking to do really is is offer athletes combining uh, basically a really well-written training plan, good coaching advice, and most importantly, a kind of support supportive community so as I said I came from like a club background and there's nothing better than being in a club with your mates and that's kind of hard to replicate for a lot of athletes who don't have the time to get down to club training sessions so we give them a training plan we get coaching advice given out by me through a Facebook group but what we found most importantly is all the athletes in this group all get to interact with each other and initially it was I was thinking well I'm going to have to do loads of coaching advice in and amongst this this forum here but the athletes help each other out and are really supportive of each other and and I mean, I came from, you know, back in the day, the TriTalk forum was fantastic. Um, and over time, the internet seemed to evolve towards having lots of nasty people who just want to have a go at each other. <laughs> yeah. So kind of by having this private Facebook group, <laughs> we've got we've got nice people inside there. Um, so that's a, that's a really big bonus. Um, and just one other little thing, if I can mention, we're going to have a free webinar next Tuesday. Um, okay. So the date is going to be Tuesday, the 5th. 15th of March. It's going to be eight o'clock UK time, and the web address is going to be team.oxygenaddict.com forward slash run webinar. So I'm going to be doing a presentation about how you can put together a training plan and a racing plan for your best Ironman marathon, and you get a chance to interact with us and ask us some questions as part of the webinar. Fantastic. Great. So guys, if you want to go to Team Oxygen oxygenaddict.com and we'll have a link to that on www.imtalk he's got lots of services here they've also got their own little podcast John so game on there you go awesome thanks so much for your time Rob thanks very much guys so guys once again that's oxygenaddict or teamoxygenaddict.com and looks like they're doing some pretty cool work so if you are looking for some coaching or something like that check mm-hmm. it out absolutely and he's also got a little podcast on there so if you need some more content on there um, not content if you need some more um, something to listen to when you're out training check him out 
Okay, Jumbo, we've got another interview coming up. Before we do, let's talk about Extreme Endurance. So they've got their Extreme Hydro X. So if you're you know, somebody that suffers a bit with cramp or you're trying to look look for that little extra boost of electrolytes, this is a great product. It's uh, got 1,500 no, 1, milligrams of lactate. It's got a premier blend of electrolytes and they've got some a product called Systamine in there. It's great for energy, cramping protection and recovery. So check it out, xendurance.com. It's called Extreme Hydro X. I've used it successfully in some hot environments. It's got uh, sort of a lemon lime flavor, quite like the flavor. I was generally taking it uh, not during the session, but uh, I was sort of taking it about around about an hour before and found it to work fantastically. So once you've used it, you won't train without it. Once you've used it, John, you won't train and without I, it. I do have to give some plugs for um, Matt Russell, who's an extreme endurance user. I was very impressed with his turnaround from Wanaka. So he was one of the a number of athletes that, that turned around from Wanaka and put in a sensational run split um, in Taupo to run himself up through the field. And uh, he's been a long-time ex-endurance athlete himself. Oh, very good. Well, guys, if Matt Russell was doing it, you need to do it too. Exactly. So xendurance.com, guys, check it out. It's got lots of good supplements. You know the story. You've heard us talk about it. If you haven't given it a try, give it a try. You know, sometimes these things don't work for you, but the feedback we get from most of our listeners is that they really get a lot of value of their products. So check it out, xendurance.com. Now, all going to plan. We should have an interview now with Cam Brown. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping to do that later in the day. If so. we don't have it. It's because either my Skype hasn't worked or I've stuffed something up. Or Cameron's, he was traveling back to Auckland today, so hopefully he gets back in time. Well, he should. Priorities, Cameron. You know, number one. We know you're a champion. But exactly. still, here we go. Here's Cameron. Okay, guys, as you heard earlier in the show, we've been uh, raving about Ironman New Zealand last weekend. Uh, performances across the board were awesome, but the winner was Cameron Brown, and he joins us now. So welcome back to the show, Cameron. Yeah, thanks very much, John. Hey, look... Um, it was a, it looked like an amazing day. Um, I, I'm really keen to hear how hard you pushed that that bike in the early stages because you're a bit down out of the swim as per usual. And Callum Millwood seemed to be saying that the pace was reasonably on from where he was up the road a bit. So how hard did you push early in the bike? Um, yeah, I think I think I sort of I haven't looked at my um, power meter yet, but I'm pretty sure we're sort of pushing 300s. Um, throughout that f- sort of first 40k's, but I sort of really felt really comfortable and. Um, yeah, it didn't, didn't seem, you know, like I was going too hard. I just felt, felt yeah, felt like I was in the groove and um, things were just smoothly going along. And, yeah, it was nice and nice to catch them, you know, so quickly. I think it was about um, 40Ks we caught them. And and then um, Cyril, he was riding with us. He um, he sort of thought he'd caught the first group as well and and he hadn't. And then so he took off again after um, Bazzoni and... Um, uh, the other three up the road, so uh, yeah, the pace went on again from there on. That was that was a little bit tougher. So um, tell us about the the bike because you know when we look at the overall times this year on the bike and the run, they seem particularly quick. So was there a, was there a reason why not just you you pro guys but also the age groupers were fast? Was there particular wind conditions or were you guys just uh, drilling it or was there course changes? What was the deal? No, no, it was just same old. I'm in New Zealand course. It was, I think, it was just, just fantastic conditions. You know, the uh, we had a little bit of fog um, out the back end of um, the course, and when you have fog, then you know it's uh, pretty settled and there's not much wind. So, uh, yeah, it was. It was <clears throat> haven't probably seen those conditions for uh, quite a while, and uh, 
I think you know there was a very you know very very strong field and I think everyone was just pushing each other and, and wanting to get to that front I think you know we went through the first um, 90ks I think just under 42k average wow. so I thought I thought and that's you know that's pretty pretty fast on you know what the road surface is like there it's, yeah. it's got better over the years because I think it's smoothed out with all the the, the um, milk trucks going through but uh, it's still pretty quick and then um, you know I thought yeah we're going to be on for a, a good bike ride here but you never know if the walls uh, the wheels are going to fall off and you and you're going to suffer in that last 45 k's but um, everyone sort of you know there was a few drop-offs but uh, the um, the boys even behind they were riding even quicker yeah yeah so w- coming off the bike you know what's your sort of mindset you ha- obviously had Cyril Vanneau who's had a you know a couple of great years in, in Kona and one of the best athletes going around a few minutes up the road what, what are you sort of thinking at the start of the run yeah um oh, he, he sort of got three minutes at one stage on the bike and and then it came down to it was coming down so we sort of had it I, I was getting a little bit more happy because yeah you don't want a guy like that to have um three minutes on you at the start of the run but uh by the time we got to t2 it was down to 220 and um and then he was cramping you know straight out of transition um and then by a k and a half we passed him so he'd either you know well yeah he was cramping quite bad so he i don't know maybe he'd pushed it just that little bit too hard and um, yeah, he was in good condition. He'd been in Australia training there for the last, I think, two, three months. So it wasn't as if he was coming from a deep European winter. Yeah. So, uh, um, and then, yeah, the pace was just full on straight away. I mean, I, I, I normally like to take it out at my sort of pace, but Cullum was, um, he was leading and, and he was uh, taking taking the, the the distance and out of me and uh at um 5k i just had to let him go because we dropped a sub 330 and <laughs> and uh it was yeah i thought man it's it's still a long way to go and so i fell off the back about 50 meters and just try to be content and, and um i don't know maybe show my experience down there and just let him um take it you know, take the lead and, and see see what happened. And yeah, sure enough, I came back about eight k. Um, and we went through about ten k and about thirty six forty five, I think. So we're, wow. yeah, we're, we're moving along at a nice pace. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it was we were going pretty quick. Every every hill, I sort of I just had to let him go because he was just really pushing the hills, and I'd come back down on the downhills. But uh, yeah, it was sort of um, Cullen was leading the charge. That's for sure. So, you know, you've had some pretty good duels up in Taupo over the years. Sometimes you've you've run away with it. Sometimes you've had to sort of come from behind when you had to catch Bjorn Anderson. So, like, Jonas Colding was one duel. Um, Luke Bell was it was another one. You obviously had your duel with um, with Crowey over there in Melbourne a few years ago. So what what, what goes through your mind when you, you know, because you obviously were going head-to-head with Callum for, for quite a while there, sort of in the, the mid-stages of the run. Um are you sort of still focusing on what you're doing? You're focusing on what he's doing. Um, what's what's going through your mind to, to sort of keep things keep the pace high, or you're hanging on? Um, yeah, I mean, you just um, you know, there's a lot to think about, but yeah, you're just trying to trying to stay comfortable, trying to stay um, just keep positive, and um, you know, yeah, there's stages where you, I mean, you, you, it's a deep down, you know, hurt that's going on inside, but you've just got to straight stay you know so tough and strong and i was just thinking you know i i, I really want this win again and um 
I don't want to be uh, second on the podium, that's for sure. So, um, you know, I, I had to dig really deep and um, just maintain time, really, and, and just, you know, hopefully that experience of, you know, 19 years at Ironman New Zealand would, would pay dividends. And um, the last or second second lap coming home, you know, I was sort of, I was more, was more side-by-side side running at that stage. You mm. know, a lot of the other early age, um, stages, it was... I was running on a shoulder or just, you know, a, a little bit behind. Um, but, yeah, I was sort of coming back to him now. And, and um, I think, you know, that back half of my run is always pretty good and pretty strong. And then um, at the last turnaround, you know, we, we ran around there and we could see um, Joe Skipper, he was coming hard and um, he was probably about two and a half minutes at that stage. And, and then, yeah, probably a K down the road at 29, I... Just put in, I don't know, it was just a slight surge and it was enough to just get a, a metre and then that just grew and grew and within probably 10 minutes it was... Oops. Oh, you there? Yep, yep, now you came back. Oh. So, um, no, you were just saying um, it just sort of the, the lead just sort of grew once you, once you, that once the bungee started to, to break, you just sort of slowly opened up, but it still didn't get to gigantic proportions, did it? No, 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 no. I mean, um, I think uh, it was about a minute um, at um, probably oh, 34K and and then, then it quickly opened up, and then um, you know it was there was only probably 20, 30 seconds between Joe and Callum at that stage. But um, yeah, I was getting the splits, and it's always nice when you're in the front and on a loop course like that. You can keep an eye out on on you know everyone, and um, you know I, I could just settle in and enjoy that last seven uh, k as much as I could. It was <laughs> it was a bloody world of hurt going on in the head, but um, yeah, the last two k was. Uh, pretty cool coming down that final stretch you know there was a massive crowd as always in Taupo and especially on such a great day um such a beautiful day it was everyone came out and um yeah it was it was pretty awesome and look again a bit like the bike it wasn't like there was I mean you had a, a sensational run but across the board I mean the the run times there there was like five or six guys in the 240s and normally there's you and the you're the only one um again yeah. were, were conditions just amazing or is it just this year they just had a stacked field. Um, yeah, it was stacked. Yeah, I mean, you know, you got the guys like Matt Hansen running a two forty one, and Matt Russell, and you know, those those guys are um, low two forties all the time. And yeah. um, you know, Callum had a, had a, had a or two forty eight, and Joe a, a two forty five. Um, so yeah, there was just same old course as well. But I mean, I ran a two forty nine last year. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was and you know and and hard tough wins. You see the pictures, you know, from from on that Lake Taupo. It's it's you know, just calm and flat, so yeah. it just tells you, you know, it's just quick running. And, and same with the bike, you know, when you do get a good day in Taupo, you can go very very fast. I mean, I've dreamed about you know doing you know a sub eight ten, but never really thought it was possible. But you know, pretty uh, pretty cool when you do do it. And um, especially when you're blimmin', you know, forty three. Yeah. But yeah, it, um, I mean. If if the the road surface was you know tar seal the whole way, then uh, you, you'd go close to eight hours. Yeah, I, I, it must feel good to to get the record back. You know, you got the the New Zealand record back um, when you went did that eight hour performance in Melbourne in terms of the fastest ever Kiwi over the iron distance. But um, it must be feel pretty good to get that record back off Bevan. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. No, it, uh, he can't get it back off me now. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, he had a phenomenal day that day, and that was a that was a, a very very good day weather wise as well. But um, yeah, uh, um, to to go eight oh seven, yeah, it's um, pretty um, pretty new unique on on you know on a course in New Zealand. It's uh, um, I think everyone that comes here knows you know the, what the road surface is like, and uh, it's tough tough riding. So what now for Cameron Brown? Because we know you're getting into a bit of coaching. We had old um, Arnold Sulikov on the show a couple of weeks ago, and I know you're, you're working with him a little bit. But what's what's sort of the, the plan at this stage? Does this, um, you know, we haven't seen you pull out an amazing Kona for for a little while, um, but we've seen you doing some awesome 70.3s, you know, some fa- fantastic run splits. What's sort of uh, on the radar for you? Um, yeah, I want to go back to Cairns for, you know, the Asia-Pacific Championships, so... That's going to be my next time in. Looking forward to that. Um, yeah, it's it's always easy to train through the next couple of months. You know, the weather weather wise, it's not too bad. Um, so yeah, looking forward to that. But um, not too sure the next um, couple of months if if I'll race um, between then. Um, just want to really you know make sure my body comes back and um, legs are you know absolutely trashed at the moment and um yeah need of a good massage but i can't even be touched at the moment because yeah. i'll be hitting the roof but uh uh not too sure later on in the year i've, I've um still undecided what I'll, I'll do um um you know i've been to Kona sort of 13 times so you know you, you really you have to have a uh, fantastic build-up to go there i mean you, you sort of think i'd be jumping to, to get on a plane to go there but uh it's still a different race, and it's uh, such a tough race. But you know, who knows? We'll uh, we'll start planning uh, at some point when I mentally uh, get over this uh, this one. Fantastic! Look, uh, we're all very proud of you. It was an amazing race. So it's uh, it's awesome to see so many guys going so fast in in New Zealand, and uh, for you to teach all those boys, the up and comers, a lesson in such a quality field was awesome to see. So uh, nice work, and thanks for your time today. Hey, no worries, no worries, John. John McKean Brown, I just couldn't be more impressed with that race. Mm-hmm. And, and what was even better, I, I saw a little post uh, somewhere this morning that uh, I think someone asked him about Kona. He goes, yeah, don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> he said last year he trained really well, he was in good shape and going into it and he got a root, had to have a root canal or something like that. And uh, and I think he's done that, done that now. He said, never say never, I'll make my mind up later in the year, but I hope he doesn't go back. It doesn't do any well. It's it's a tough one, isn't it? Because he could still pull off the top ten. Mm. You know, Cam had a, if he had a taupo day. Yep, he could pull off the top ten. But it's up to him, really, isn't it? It is. You know, if he still wants it, like he's still racing well. Yeah, much rather than go and see. Is, 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 is it the oldest winner? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. impressive. Mm. Like he's been doing the race twenty years, mm. and tw- he's still winning. Twelfth one. Wow. That sort of record ain't going to get broken, is it? I can't see it nowadays. Yeah. Uh, Twelve. It's phenomenal. What's it? even more interesting with Brownie is, yeah, we go 12 Ironman wins, but before that, he had probably about a 15-year triathlon career in, in ITU. Because he started with you, didn't he? Oh, he was before me. Oh, was he? he so he's, he's turning 44. I'm turning, so he's four years in front of me, but he was racing at a high level, international level, from like the age of 16. So he won. You know, he got second to Spencer Smith at the 19... Here we go. 90... Houston's pulling it out. Three world champs, which wherever that, I think it was ninety three. No, it might have been ninety one. No, it wasn't ninety one. It was ninety two or ninety three. Whenever it was in Muskoka, because it was in Wellington ninety four, 
It was either 92 or 93. He got second to Spencer Smith as a junior. Wow. In, in one of those years. So, not, so that's 25 years, basically. Yeah. Wow. That's and prior to that, John, prior, that, that is incredible. Prior to that, he was still at a, he was racing professionally in Japan at that stage when he was a junior. And you know the thing about Brownie? Is he hasn't been injured that much in his career, has he? He's had a few in the more recent times, but he sort but, of managed them. Yeah, but for someone who's been pushing his body mm. as hard as he pushes his body, mm. is you're a legend. Exactly. Oh, mate. We should just call it Brownie of, of Triathlon. Yeah. <laughs> the legends of Triathlon. Okay, Jombo, let's talk about my Pyramids Motorsport. Pir- Pyramids Motorsport, I've got to give them a plug here. Um, they're going to be over giving us a uh, support crew for Epic Camp France, which is coming up in end of June which is what I'm trying to get myself fit for they've got this cool thing that they do in the Pyrenees called Sant Coles which means Sant is the word for 100 means you ride 100 coals and you do it in uh, there's a 12 night camp it's August 20th to September the 1st starting to lose starting to finish in Toulouse and you're doing well the distance isn't off the charts you're doing 1500 kilometers of riding what is off the charts is you're doing 30,000 meters of climbing so it's an extremely difficult um camp uh and it's you get it's it's something that's actually certified in the pyrenees there's a couple of other companies that do it rafa do it and and these guys are pyrenees multi-sport are about half the price of uh, no third of the price of rafa and i can tell you now the guys at pyrenees multi-sport you get that it's a bit more personal touch that's great job um rather than going on a a something with hundreds of other people so check it out pyrenees multi-sport.com slash sont coles um or sont hyphen coals then uh, you'll have an absolute blast Pyrenees are fantastic and you need to be pretty fit to do this so Jombo I I haven't done the the nickname so let's leave these till next week okay okay so just if you want to be a patron of the show become a patron we love you I've done one do you want to do it Parker Day that's a cool name Barney why Barney because he's got this thing called Cave go to cavecompetitor.com go and what he's done, he's um, he's sort of an engineering type fella, and he's built these little stands that you can use because so many so many of us these days are on our Wahoo kickers or our um, the Tax Neo, which are all these computerized um, trainers, and you've got to have your laptop there, and you've got to be changing things from time to time, or cha- or, or if you've just got a regular trainer and you ch- want to change your YouTube clips, and uh, and uh, I've got a shitty little table that things are balancing on, half the time falling off, but he's come up with these cool stands oh, yeah. that are all adjustable, you can have your water bottles in there, you can have your little food stand next to you, so check it out, cavecompetitor.com, so I was thinking, um, cave, Flintstones, Barney, Barney. <laughs> there you go, nice, that is very cool isn't it, yeah, very cool, that's a practical solution to a problem in in the modern world. Well <laughs> yes. Well done. If you guys want to make it to Kona, then join up to our Patreon program. Fantastic way you can support the show and also be in to win. And we're starting soon. It's happening soon, guys. So if you get in now. Four weeks. Um, sponsors, Jombo? Athlinks.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. Extreme endurance. Your lactic buffer. And if you want to get some coaching, go where? Oxygenaddict.com. Okay, Jombo, what's your cost? And remember about that um, webinar that you're going to be doing next week. Yeah, I'll post yeah. that on our Facebook page. Yeah. Good stuff. Running webinar. What's my goss? I took the kids camping at the weekend. It was yeah. all good. I took my, my two kids and then they took a friend each. We just went away for the night. Went out for dinner so we didn't really have to take much food. It was nice. great. That was about my weekend. What time did they go to bed? We, we stayed up till nine. And what do you do then? I went to sleep as well. I was going, oh, I'm actually going to have a reasonable night's sleep. And, it, and then I was lying there in the morning. The only problem with camping is you wake up early, don't you? Cause it well, was this time of the year is good because yeah. it doesn't get light quite so early. 
But Thomas woke up. He he's just gets up so early, and he, he's awake by six fifteen, which is when his alarm clock wakes up. Yeah. Uh, and he's going, Dad, Dad. And I was just pretending I wasn't awake. I'd been awake for a little while, but I'd heard this. For a little while, we were out in the country in the middle of nowhere. It was a proper camping ground. There was a big cricket field next to it. And I uh, just hit hearing this. I thought there's only one thing that makes that sound. And it was a hot air balloon oh, really? going up. And so, cool. um, so you just didn't take off. And so we got, got up with the, the two kids that were with us. They're not early risers. The other kids and my kids are awake. And I was like, seven o'clock, right out. We can wake these other kids up. And we went out there and it was really cool. We out in the middle of nowhere and they just uh, saw this massive hot air balloon take off. Wow. So that was really cool it's for the kids. something about a hot air balloon. Because when I used to live, when I was a kid, we lived over in Hamilton. And they take off from Wigram. Hill Morton, if you're looking for a comedy, uh for real estate in Christchurch, it is the place to go and buy high, high quality. Really? No. <laughs> it's not the... I went, hey, I come from Eddington. Hill Morton is classy. <laughs> right. <laughs> when we moved to Hill Morton, I thought we were rich. <laughs> so so you've got Hill Morton, which is kind of mid to low, yeah. and then you've got Eddington, which is kind of one above the lowest, which is Aranui yeah. really, isn't yes. it? But the thing that's happened in Christchurch in the last few years, the Quakes has made Eddington come up. Because mm. Eddington's actually become quite valuable in the last period of time, but... Yeah, no, I come from the hood. There's no denying it. <laughs> no, Hamilton's classy, John. It's classy. But yeah, we, these hot air balloons would pass over, pass over our house in the morning. It was always quite nice. nice. Very good. The advantage of living in the flash areas. You know? have, you, have you sorted out your run for London, Bevan? Yeah, no, I haven't really. Okay. What I'm going to do, I'll put it on Facebook. Check out my Facebook page. It's going to be some, where I'm saying, I've got quite a few emails from people saying, do not run there. Right. <laughs> it's a dog. <laughs> it's a bit like Addington, I think. So um, so that hasn't been sorted because I'm not quite sure. Because What I'll do is I'm going to put a link on www.facebook.com. <laughs> wow, that's a new one. I haven't heard that one before. <laughs> oh, on Facebook. Because I was thinking I could do it from a hotel and do the run, have lunch, and then leave the hotel. But I'm thinking I'm going to have to leave my hotel first or maybe do the run earlier so what i'll do is i'll put it on facebook i will be i will i'm definitely doing it i've just right. the, the wins the question guys so I'll, I'll put on facebook probably once i arrive i arrived there, i'm leaving tonight so i'll be probably wednesday uk time and then uh we'll sort it out it'll definitely be right. sunday morning at some stage how many meals do you reckon you get on the flight i'm not into that now, John. <laughs> you're watching no. the waistline no, it's no. quite difficult now as well yeah i don't i don't mm. no i don't i don't i try not to I just don't try to eat to excess so much. Mm. I have one day a week I will. Good Friday, Friday. Friday, Friday. Friday, Friday is my day off work. And Joe and I always, like last Friday, we walked um, Mount Herbert. So we always got to do fun stuff on Friday. But on Friday, I would let myself kind of eat a little bit crazy. But other than that, I'm pretty controlled with my eating. So, Gosh. yeah. But I'm not upgraded or anything. I tell you what, I'm looking forward to getting back into training this week. Last week, I've gone into some coaching corner topic at some stage, but the importance of having an easy week, I was, I'd fried myself. I hadn't, you know, I done three weeks of good consistent training and really fried myself at the end of it, and then uh, and then having that easy week, all of a sudden, man, I'm back back on form this week. I'm going to be on fire. You've got to have the easy You've week. Got to have the easy week, people. And and by easy week, all I did all week was just uh, was just ride my bike in terms of uh, when I was going out riding. I had the bunch ride was one ride where I pushed it a little bit, but overall, just doing some easy stuff. Don't lose any fitness. I didn't do any less training or any less sessions, but just really dial back the intensity and just. Uh, Ready to get back into action tomorrow. Looking forward to it. John, you you you've been in London. You, do you live in London? No. Okay. No. But if, if you were to recommend one thing for me to do in London, what would you say? Oh God, I don't know. Um, when I was a kid, I always wanted to go to Madame Two Swords and went there. 
I, cool? I haven't been there. Never, never went there last time. I'd, I'd quite like to go to Man of Two Swords and go check that out. You, 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 when you were a kid, you wanted to go there. And then when you went there, you didn't go. We went when I was a kid, but when we went, was it back cool there when you were a kid? At, yeah, but that was back in the day when think there wasn't many things like that yeah. around. But when we went back and lived there for a while, not in London but in the UK, I didn't go back. But that's probably one area thing that I'd quite like to go and do. It might be crap, but I'd quite like to go and do it. Okay. I haven't done the London Eye either, but that'd be quite cool. Okay. The London Eye and. Okay. Two swords. That's, that's my things. That's what I'm doing, team. So you want to come to me with the London Eye and two swords <laughs> tour? It's going to be lots of fun. Okay, guys, we're all going to go because we've got things to do. Jombo. I'm Russ. I'm Mendo. Train hard. Train smart. Kicker. Kicker.